Well, we call this part three in our uh, study of the book of Revelation. And um, we're only doing four parts, so you can tell we're almost half over. We've only touched three chapters. Um, and so today I want to go ahead and let you know we're, we're going to be flying over a great amount of Scripture and so much content. Um, and the reason for your cheat sheet is uh, a couple reasons. But let me just go ahead and get, reintroduce you to the topic of what we're talking about. I shared this with you the first week as we talked about it as a church. Uh, this term that you may not hear often, but it's a term um, that I want you to learn and understand what it means. Uh, the word is eschatology. Everybody say it with me. Eschatology. Say it one more time. Eschatology. It is a study, all right? It's a study of end times, all right? Uh, it's a belief, or concerning, a belief concerning death, the end of the world, the ultimate destination of humankind, specifically uh, any of various Christian doctrines concerning the second coming of Christ, of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, or the last judgment. That's what it is. Eschatology is a very big, big study and very big topic, impossible for me uh, to cover in a small few lengths of time, few weeks of time even. Um, we have a, a group that possibly will be meeting this fall uh, that uh, Dan has agreed to, you know, Dan and Beth have agreed to kind of work through again one more time, but it does take a while. It takes a couple years, and, and it's, again, that's, that's, he calls it 101. I think it's a little bit more, but he calls it 101. All right, so it's, it's the idea that this is a big study, and what I wanted to let people know kind of ahead is that, you know, we're not diving into this for the reason of eschatology. I wanted to go through the book of Revelation because what I was noticing in conversations with many people, even people who already have a discipline to read the scriptures themselves, shy away from this book. They shy away from reading and studying the book of Revelation for a lot of different reasons. So my purpose in going over this book wasn't to dive into eschatology, but to let you know, yes, it is a part of eschatology because Revelation plays a huge role with John's visions, and, but I wanted to equip you to be able to approach this in a healthy way, to be able to go in on your own and read the Word of God. That's, our, that's always our goal as a church, is that we could equip you to read the Word of God on your own, and I trust 1,000% the Holy Spirit to do the work of helping you work through and interpret what God wants to say uh, through His Word. We do our very best to give you healthy approaches and kind of overview some things, but that's the purpose of, of this series. We told you um, the first week that, that the best approach to this is not to view Revelation as a revelation of us, because we're always looking for us in Scripture. We're always looking for us in the story, and that's okay. Like, I get that's a natural thing. But the, the book of Revelation is the revelation of, say it out loud with me. Yeah, it's the revelation of Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. And it's about, the, it's not just revelation of Jesus, but the events that are going to take place because of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. And I shared with you these six ways in which, are those six or five? I can't count. There's five ways in which Jesus is kind of seen and revealed um, through Revelation. And just to let you know, today we're kind of focusing primarily in on the righteous judge. We're focusing on the time of judgment. And we're focusing in on this part, this big, big section of Scripture where Jesus is revealed as the righteous judge. You'll have to go back in the last couple of weeks and look at the past few weeks of how we've talked about the beginning of, uh, of this book and the overview. And we, last week we dealt with the seven letters to the seven churches. 
Uh, but we're diving in today to chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, it's chapter 4. If not, I'll put it on the screen for you as well, but it's always good, good to read along as I'm reading. I'm doing my best to stick to my notes today because, again, we do have a lot of ground uh, to cover. But here is where we start. This is after the seven letters to the churches. It says, Then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice that I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. This is Jesus. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit and saw a throne of heaven in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of the emeralds uh, circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white with gold crowns on their heads. And in the center around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back, the first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered with eyes, were all covered with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who, is always, who always was, who is and it was still to come, keep going. Whenever the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, it says that the 24 elders also fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And they exist because you created what you please. John is given, after he writes these letters, the, the letters that Jesus wanted to write to the church, he's given a glimpse of what's happening in heaven, in the spiritual realm. The curtain is sort of pulled back, and, and John is given this, this picture, so hard to describe. I don't know what all of those things necessarily mean. I don't know why there's eyes everywhere, you know? I mean, there's just a lot of things sometimes that you read and you just go, wow, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it paints an incredible image. I don't know why. There's lots of significance to some of those things. The things to pay attention to are they are four created living beings that were created for a very specific purpose by God. God is sitting on the throne. Jesus tells John, I want to show you what's going to happen after these things have to happen. And what he's talking about is the end. He's talking about the end, the end times, the judgment that is getting ready to happen. And yet in all of this, there's worship happening because God is worthy of worship. And God is worthy, not just of, of us, but of also those he's created, the, the, the creatures he's created that still exist in the heavenly realms. The 24 elders, a lot of people have different ideas of what this is, the most common belief 24 kind of aligns with the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. I don't have any idea if those are the 12, you know, first of the tribe, the 12, um, you know, apostles themselves. I, I don't know, okay? This is, we're getting into the parts of Revelation where in terms of eschatology, um, a lot of brilliant, really smart people who love Jesus don't agree all the time on what these things mean. Dan, is that a good way to say it? Yeah, they don't, they don't agree. But guess what? They love Jesus, and they're going to be in heaven, okay? 
And so the, the way I look at it is that, you know, people smarter than me, when they can't agree on something, I'm just going to try to go with what Scripture says and trust the Holy Spirit to lead as to what he wants me to hear from this and wants me to learn. Again, I, I look at the significance of 24, and I understand the, the beautiful picture of, of, of the church of Christ being grafted into the family of God. And the 12 tribes of Israel and, and, and how God viewed the nation and, and then now, because of Jesus offering it to the Gentiles, there's now this beautiful, and the New Testament uses the word grafting. We've been grafted in to the family. And so I just love those numbers, and when things pop up like that, like they, they do mean something to me. And John is getting this beautiful picture. Continues on in chapter 5 and says this, that when I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, and there was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it, had, it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seal or the seals on this scroll and open it? No one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And John goes on and says, I began to weep bitterly. This was John having an emotional response to what he was seeing, he says, I began to be brilliant because no one was found worthy to be able to open the scroll and read it. But then the one of the 24 elders then said to me, stop weeping. I want you to look because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, he's already won the victory and he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. The scroll is going, the scroll as you're going to get ready to see is what needs to be read at the beginning of the end. It is the first of many judgments that are going to come against the earth. But what I want you to see in this moment is something that I just, I, you can't miss this. If you miss this, you're going to struggle because I'm telling you, the judgments are, not, are nothing to sneeze at. They are incredibly uh, hard to read through. They're incredibly hard to, to picture your parents and your siblings and your children having to suffer through. Everybody with me? I mean, it's, it's sobering. But if you, I don't want you to miss this part. That, that the righteous judge, remember Jesus is seen as the righteous judge, he is worthy to bring judgment to the world. And, G, and God has given him this authority because of the work of Christ. Because of the work and the grace shown by Jesus to take your sin and my sin and to die on the cross, and to pay the price, and to offer salvation, and to give us righteousness and a right standing with God, it's because of that, that he is the one that God has allowed to be worthy to bring judgment to the entire world. Not only because he was a part of creating it, we can go back to Genesis and see that there was a, there was a triune God in that moment even in Genesis, creating all things. And it goes on to speak about Jesus later on, that he is the one who created all things. And so Jesus has this authority, not just because it's what he created, but because he has done the work to redeem us and to redeem the world and to bring reconciliation, whether people choose it or not, to bring reconciliation. So God has in this point given him the authority to open the seals and to bring judgment to the world because he's a righteous judge. If you go to your cheat sheet, um, I like calling it a cheat sheet, because don't, don't you wish I had this in school? You're not even getting in trouble. I gave this to you. Um, 
This is for you to be able to take and read on your own and again and kind of see some of the highlights. The, the seal judgments are where you're going to be introduced to um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You're going to be introduced to uh, the beginning of the devastation that comes when about a quarter of the people of the earth are going to die. They're going to die in war, they're going to die in famine, uh, disease, wild animals. There's going to be a great amount of suffering and persecution for Christians, for believers. As a matter of fact, one of the seals is a time in which they're going to give uh, white robes to the martyrs, to those who have, who have been slain or who will be slain in this period of time. The seal judgments come at the very beginning of opening this scroll. We won't even get to go to the fullness of the scroll until next week. Next week, actually, kind of it's a two-parter, you know. But, but the fullness of the scroll begins with the seal judgments as these judgments are unlocked as each seal is broken. I'm going to highlight the last one, or the, sorry, the second to the last one, because the last one opens up the next set of judgments. This is the sixth one. This is in Revelation, um, go ahead and take me to it. Revelation 6, it says, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars out of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a windstorm. The sky was rolled up like a scroll. And all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. I don't know what that means, but that sounds significant, right? Like the mountains are moved from where they're supposed to be. The islands are moved from where they're supposed to be. And it goes on to say that everyone, say the word, everyone. No, just one more time, say it. Everyone. The kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person. Well, they all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Keep going. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Listen, all I can tell you is that um, there's going to be, I'm going to give you two things real quick, but, um, oh, was there one more verse, by the way? Sorry, I keep going. Oh, yeah. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to survive? I'm sorry, I didn't want to not skip that part. There, there's a term, there's a legal term. I'm going to look to Laura. She's one of our lawyers here. She's not that kind of lawyer, so she can't do anything for you, but she's one of our lawyers here at the church, and there's a term, and I want to give the quick legal definition, she can nod her head if this is true, called acts of God. Okay, there's an acts of God legal term that usually means something like this. I'm going to see you. It's an accident or event resulting from natural causes without human intervention, and one that could not have been pre prevented by reasonable foresight or care. This is when he gives examples like tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and meteor showers and all sorts of other things. Would that be a good definition? There you go. Laura's given the stamp on that. Acts of God. And we've given that term, we as humans have given that term to the things that just, they're so out of our hands, they're so unpreventable that you can't do anything about it. 
they're, they're, it's, it's, it's nature, it's, it's forces of nature, it's the result of something that happened because of the forces of nature. But I want you to understand something pretty clearly, and this is really important, especially when you start talking to people that have kind of tiptoed into eschatology, they've tiptoed into sort of what they think the end times are going to be like, and they've heard all the rumors and the conspiracy theories and the biblical theories and all those things. Um, zombie apocalypses and everything else they think is going to happen. There's a whole lot of effort on man's part to try to explain away the stuff that's going to happen. Okay? Stars falling from the sky, meteor showers, you know what I'm saying? Black holes, uh, you know, technology. Like, there's so much that we try to explain away, but I want you to understand this. This is very, the very first point I want you to see, that when judgment comes to the world, Acts of God will intentionally come from the hand of God. I think Pastor Chris is one of the ones who says that sometimes when we talk about end time stuff is Chris always comes back to the same place and says, I'm pretty sure everything I read in Revelation tells me that no one's going to be surprised, right? That, that there tends to be some idea that, well, maybe we're in the end times now. Well, we're always in the end times. We've been in the end, the end times since Jesus said, I'm coming back, be ready, you know, 2,000 years ago, we are in the end times. But when it comes to this, when it comes to the significance of, of what we would call the tribulation, that's what I gave you on the sheet. We're going to talk about some time and dates and things in a minute. But man, you're going to know. And I love the fact that right here in the very beginning of these seals, when there is still, and I'll explain it to you in a minute, there's still some mercy from God happening in this, that a cord of the earth is gone. Court of the earth is, is, is by famine and, and disease and wild beasts and war. And that there is still, that there is this moment where everybody knows where the judgment's coming from. Everybody with me? That when judgment, this kind of judgment, when we're talking about end times judgment, it's crystal clear. I mean, it's crystal clear to everyone, it says. When they cry out and say, oh, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne. And to the lamb who's pouring out, the one who's worthy to judge is pouring out this wrath. Well, the seventh seal kind of, and you'll notice this, timing's a tough thing when it comes to these judgments. I can't, I mean, I can't even get into the detail of it, but some of them kind of overlap. Some of them, you're talking about a God who sits outside of time and is giving John visions of moments. Everybody nod your head if you're with me, because, I mean, that already hurts my brain, all right? Like, that's, that's what we're dealing with, okay? And, 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 and so timing is a little hard on this, but, but just follow along. There are certain things that say these things will happen when this happens, and these things will happen when this happens, and it seems to be that, that one sort of kind of rolls into another, and I don't know how they overlap, but it does say that the seventh seal becomes the trumpets. And the trumpet set of judgments, as you look on your cheat sheet, the trumpet set of judgments are significant in terms of what they do to the earth. <clears throat> and, there, and, and as you can tell from the last seal judgment, we begin to enter a time in which things can become really reminiscent of the, the plagues of Egypt. If you read, read some of the Old Testament and you see some of the plagues of Egypt. There's a lot of stuff that starts to overlap. It's almost as if the, the plagues in Egypt were like a, a foretaste of, of, the, of the wrath of God and how things would begin to look. But you see in the, the trumpet judgments that, you know, hail and fire 
mixed with blood, will fall from the sky. Now, not just a quarter, but a third of the earth's vegetation gets destroyed. Uh, sea animals die because of the blood in the water. The fresh water is contaminated. About a third of the water is contaminated and bitter. I don't know how this works, but a third of our light is lost. I'm going to go and read this poisonous uh, locust parts because it's, it's probably the, one, of the more, it's one of the more terrifying things in terms of the beginning of the trumpet judgments. This is in uh, chapter 9. It says, locusts begin to come out, and this is from the bottomless pit, and the bottomless pit is referenced several times in terms of um, where, where Satan is going to be cast into, where he do, comes out of. Several things come out of this bottomless pit, but it says, the locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. Okay? They were told not to harm the grass or the plants or the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with the pain like the pain of a scorpion's sting. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They, they, uh, they had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. It goes on to describe and says they had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like the army of chariots rushing into battle. They had, they had tails that stung like scorpions, obviously, and it said for five months they had the power to, to, to torment people. Keep going. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, and the destroyer goes on to explain this is, this is Satan himself. And it says the first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Now, depending on your scripture, your, your version that you read, they're called the three woes. They're called the three terrors. Um, the last-ish set of, of trumpets, uh, of the trumpet judgments, are considered the terrors because they're so significant in terms of what they're bringing and what they're going to do. And guys, the poisonous locusts for five months tormenting the earth, that's just the first one. That's kind of what I want you to see in terms of this is just how significant this actually is. Um, in that same time, if you look at the cheat sheet, um, you're going to see a, a, a demonic army of creatures that come, about 200 million mounted troops that are going to kill a third of the world, these four angels that come from the bottomless pit. And, and in there, you're also going to be introduced to uh, two prophets that come to prophesy about the goodness of God and the grace of God and declaring who God is. I think that's part of why it's not going to be confusing to anyone why, why and who is doing all of these things. Even as we try to explain things away, there's going to be two prophets. And I can't get into all of it. We're going to talk some about it next week. But these two prophets are, are from God. Many people believe they're to be Elijah or Moses or, you know, some other ideas of who, who that might be in terms of who God allows to come. Um, but they come. And it says that they are here for 42 months. They're here for that three-and-a-half-year period of time. And just again, real quick to, to back up, 
The tribulation, most people look at the Old Testament passages and see the tribulation as two sections of three and a half years. That's from the Jewish calendar. Um, it's, a, it's just in order to make the math work, you have to know the Jewish calendar. In order to make the math work in terms of the number of days, the number of months, and, and, and why it equals three and a half years, and why um, what we're reading tends to be really attributed to the last part of this three and a half years, kind of the kicking off and the last part of the three and a half years in terms of where these significant um, judgments are, are coming into play. But you'll see the, these, these prophets come and uh, they actually are killed at some point. At the end of their time, they do exactly what God wanted them to do. They're killed. Um, their bodies just rot in the street. No one's allowed to touch them. And then they are resurrected. And they are just the, either the beginning or the middle. I don't know where they fall in line, but they're just one of the few resurrections you're going to see. Again, we're going to talk more about it next week, but one of the few resurrections you're going to see when we start talking about the resurrections, the resurrections that God is bringing and, and the coming of Christ and the new earth. I mean, it's just, you got to come back next week. All right, that's, that's all I can tell you. You got to come back next week. Not to leave you on a cliffhanger, but that's, that's just the way it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of, again, God's grace. And that's the part that I want you to see because I don't want you to miss out on, while we read all these horrible things, it's really interesting that when judgment, at least for a period of time, okay, when judgment comes to the world, God's grace is going to remain for a time. Like that is, that much is clear. Now, there's a whole lot of conversation about the 144,000, and is that a literal number? And, you know, if you go to talk to some Jehovah's Witnesses, they can give you a whole lot about what that number means and what that doesn't mean and how it works. And, and I'll be honest, I don't really know. I know it's significant to the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel. I know it's significant to 12 times 12 is 144,000. Like, it's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of um, significance to that number in terms of what's being sealed and what's happening during this period of time, but we are told several times that people are given the opportunity, they see God, they're given an opportunity to repent, but John gets these visions that they don't. Let me just give you two quick examples. This is in um, 9, this is again during the trumpet judgments, uh, people who did not die in these plagues still refuse to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. It means they had the opportunity. Again, this, there's three and a half years in which prophets are declaring who God is. But John is given the term that, you know what? It's still there. They continue to worship demons and idols made of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood and idols that can neither talk, hear, or, or sorry, see, hear, or walk. It says, and they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. They just, they refused to. Now, this is a little bit later on. This is actually during the bowl judgments, but I wanted you to see this. Uh, everyone at this point was burned by a blast of heat, and they just cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. Again, it's going to be clear to them. Who's in control of the judgment? Who's bringing judgment to the earth? Well, the righteous judge is and instead of repenting, they're going to curse God. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God to give him glory. John gets these visions, and they're visions that, that should make you weep, that even in the moment, I mean, I think all of us have had that little tiny voice in our head every once in a while that says things like, you know, if God would just 
make himself a little bit more known. You know, if he would just make himself, if he would just do what he did in the Old Testament and just, you know, a voice would come out of heaven, you know, my sister would finally get her act together. Everybody with me? Like we've all had that voice. Like we've all had that thought. But the, but the, the, the vision that John has given is sobering again in the way that tells us that, guys, the first two sets of judgments I know it's hard to see because the judgments are getting more severe as they come, but there's still mercy. There's still mercy. Like even killing a third of the earth, there is still two-thirds. There is still mercy to the two-thirds that remain. There is still grace. There is still opportunity for people to give glory to God. It's best I can tell. I don't know when that all ends and things, but I know at some point it's done. So for a time, even during these times, even during the, some of this, the, the judgments as they unfold, there's time in which people are going to be able to repent, which I think is amazing that God's grace remains uh, even in that. Before I get to the, the seventh trumpet, because it's pretty significant, the seventh trumpet is the coming of Jesus, and it also signifies the kind of unleashing of the bulls judgments, which is on the second side, the back side of your sheet. The bull judgments are just devastating. They decimate the earth. The seventh trumpet is a part of that, as well as the coming. Again, timing is, is there. We're going to talk more about the second coming of Christ next week. But in terms of how things are revealed to John, there is a section here that I want to make sure you, you just you know, have opportunity to go back and read and look at and see, because uh, John is introduced to many characters and events that paint a significant part of the end times and why the end times are kind of going to unfold the way they are and who some of the characters are at play. So let me walk you through just a few um, while we have just a few more minutes remaining. Um, this starts with a woman and a dragon. This is in chapter 12. I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun with the moon between her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she was cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. And his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth, and he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was then snatched up, snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for, how long? Say it out loud. Yeah, 1,260 days. If you look at your sheet, that's, again, some of the numbers that they use to help signify this tribulation period, or at least a period of suffering. Then there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Keep going. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. The great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Now, again, this is one of those visions where you're looking at it and saying, wait, is this, 
the future is this. Because, you know, most people that grow up in church immediately go, I sounded like Jesus, right? Like that sounded like 2,000 years ago. And again, all I can tell you is you have a God that stands outside of time, that rules time, giving John visions of things in time. But, but the significance of the woman is because she represents Israel, she represents the nation, the 12 stars. I mean, there's all sorts of things, not necessarily just Mary, but, you know, the child does represent Jesus Christ because he's the one that's going to rule. It says later on that, the, that the, the devil is so angry he's going to go after her children, which is God's people, right? Going to be the, Jew, the Jewish nation and God's people. They're grafted in. So there's all sorts of significance to this, but it's very clear who, who he's setting up these characters in terms of the woman and her children and the people of God. He's setting up and helping you understand that every time they talk about the, the, the serpent or the dragon, he's talking specifically about Lucifer. He's talking specifically about Satan. And that third of the stars, many just assume, is that, that angelic battle where when, when, when Satan you know, uh, rebelled and he took some of the angels with him and they all were cast down to the earth. I mean, that's, that's part of the significance of this vision. But it's tied to, in terms of the revelation, it's tied to John understanding not only what just happened in terms of how it mixes time up, but in terms of the role of the dragon, because it goes into this next part. It goes in and says that I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, and it had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had a feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded yet beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And the beast was allowed. I love the terms that John is writing down because he was told he was allowed for a period of time to speak great blasphemes against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for how long? Again, that three and a half years. Keep going. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belonged to this world worshipped the beast. And they were ones with the names were not written in the book of, lamb, of, uh, book of life that belongs to lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. He's kind of distinguishing who are these people or the people who, whose names were not written in the book of life. They were not believers. They were not Christians. Keep going. Oh, that was in on that section. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> that, that just helps you understand. Now, in, in, in Christian theological terms, this, this beast is called the Antichrist. You're not going to find uh, that phrase anywhere in Revelation. But, but the reason it's given to him is because um, there, there's a setup happening between Satan and the Antichrist and sort of how power is going to be seen and how things are going to happen and unfold somehow in the end times, that these, these, these are characters that are in play. But every time you see the beast out of the sea, okay, that's, you need to understand, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about the one who's literally going to sort of mock Jesus in every way. 
Not just blaspheme God, but like sort of pretend to be Jesus, sort of be, try to, not like Jesus' brother or anything, but like be the anti-Jesus. Everybody with me? To bring salvation to the world, salvation and hope to the world that's not absolute hope because it's not Jesus. And then it goes on because there's a, a third character in this. He says, I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb and he spoke with the voice of a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he did, this, he did astounding miracles and even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky when everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to, be, uh, to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. Again, just this mocking of Jesus. And he was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could then speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Anytime you see the beast of the earth mentioned, uh, again, the term given to this in terms of eschatology is the false prophet. And they, they kind of create this best term I can give you is kind of an unholy trinity, okay? You have, you have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and you have sort of his false prophet. And it tells you just kind of like, what are they going to be doing <laughs> during this season of time? What are they going to be doing? Well, you know, the, the dragon's going to give power to the beast and to the, to the Antichrist, and, he's gonna, and the Antichrist is going to have this little henchman, you know, this, this false prophet who's going to kind of do all the, the work and the deeds and get people on board and get all, deceive the whole world to worshiping the beast. He's the one who gives people the mark of the beast, the 666. If you go on to read a little bit more about that, you know, the, I, I can't necessarily tell you what that will be other than 666 was numerology and Jewish numerology meant a lot. Uh, in, in terms of eschatology, many point back to um, the, the way it spelled out the word Nero, because they would have all, in, in their time, would have experienced the persecution of Nero. It wasn't saying that Nero was <laughs> the Antichrist, but it was a significant, in terms of the mark of this, was going to be significant in terms of the persecution of God's people. And so there's a lot that we don't know. There's more you can study, but this is all from these characters. Okay, the, the, the serpent, or sorry, the, the dragon, the, the, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth. And just in this period of time, while all the judgments are happening, while the seals are happening, and while the trumpets are happening, as the bowls pour out, you're going to see these characters, even as we go into next week, and how they play out. But that's why I wanted to give you this little sheet. Again, I gave you verses to kind of go back. If you want to go back and read, take the next couple days, couple weeks, and read them. Make a choice if you want to take the next two years to study them deeper, but I, they're pretty significant. Let me go to the bowl judgments very quickly. Um, this is in chapter 15. It says, I saw, heaven in, I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. This is to kind of tell you this is the end of the end when it comes to these uh, bowls. And it goes on, I gave you some, some ideas, sores on people. They're only going to be the people that, that have the mark of the beast. Seas, oceans, and rivers are going to turn into blood because everything's going to die. And sun scorches the earth and the people. Again, we'll, we'll try to explain this away, I'm sure, as humanity of the, 
you know, it'll be, it'll be global warming or the climate change or something like that. It'll be, it'll be some sort of explanation as to why all this is happening, but it's going to be pretty clear that it's from God. Kingdoms, kingdoms of men are going to go dark. There's going to be pains and there's going to be sores. And, and then I want to read this portion of the seventh um, bowl. This is the seventh bowl poured out, the angel into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne of the temple saying, it is finished. Those words look familiar, don't they? It is finished. It's over. And it says, the thunder crashed and rolled and the lightning flashed and the great earthquake struck. Guys, it's the worst since people were even placed on the earth. Why does it say it's the worst? I'll show you. Every island disappeared <laughs> and all the mountains were leveled. We're talking about decimation devastating decimation to the earth. There was a terrible hailstorm. Hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds, some say 100. I mean, it just depends on what you read um, in terms of the old way they measured that. The sky fell on the people below. They cursed God again. <laughs> they cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Guys, this is the moment. This is when the seventh trumpet blasts. This is when Jesus returns and, and, and I want you just to, as we close up, I want you to hear me say this with a, with a very sad heart, that when judgment comes, when judgment comes to the world, people are still going to reject God. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to give you that in a, in a way to let you off the hook, you know, that, well, people just aren't, you know, some people just aren't going to accept him. I'm saying that to say that as clear as a picture as we've been given through these, through this book, through these chapters, that John has given that sad reality that even as crystal clear as it could be, even with the opportunity that they have to still repent and give glory to God, they don't. So I'll be honest, I was struggling with how to even apply all of this. Today. Like, I was struggling with just, okay, God, like, this is the worst Hallmark message ever. Like, this is horrible, you know? Who wants to return next week? Yay! Um, and I'll be honest, I was raised in a Baptist culture and a Reformed culture as well, and, you know, they had different views on, you know, all sorts of things. We're going to talk some about that next week in terms of tribulation and post-trib and pre-trib and get into all that next week, but you know, there was a lot of, I think I've shared this with you before, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of focus on end times, but not in a very healthy way. It was always very driven by kind of escapism, like, oh gosh, we just can't wait for, we just need to huddle down and, in our Christian circles. And, 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 you know, one day God's going to deliver us out of this mess. And that's just not what I see in terms of the call of us on our lives, in terms of Scripture. So I'm not putting that on any of you in terms of your interest or how you view eschatology. I think it's important to know. I think it's important to study, at least to the degree that you desire to study it. But I, I'm, I'm letting you know that I really do. I look back and just, I looked at this particular passage from Paul, and it was, the, it was the thing that shot me full of hope again. Like, it was the thing that got me just sort of like, okay, judgment's coming to the world. Yes, it is. And the righteous judge is going to bring it. And there's even going to be mercy. But people are still going to reject God. But what does that do for me today? How do I, how do I take that information today 
and live how he wants me to live. And so here's the passage. This is to the church in Corinth. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. This is Paul actually kind of addressing the fact that, hey, some of us might not even die. We might, we might, we might be a part of the, of the, the second coming. But, but we all are all going to be transformed. He goes on to explain what that means. It's going to happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died, with, uh, died will be raised to live forever, and then we who are living will also be then transformed. And he goes on to say, we're going to, our dying bodies must be transformed. Why? Into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then we, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that never die, this scripture will then be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. He goes on to say, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your string? That's pulling from the Old Testament. And he goes on to say, for sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. Because that's what they were all living in, just like we are in, in terms of their time. But then I love this challenge. He says in the next verse, but thank God that he gives us victory over our sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this victory that we move forward with. And it says, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Why? Because you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Right? Nothing you do for God is ever going to be useless. It's all going to be used as a part of, 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 of everything we've been called to do until judgment comes. Everybody with me? So the, the challenge of that is that like, we know it's going to happen. We've read the book, Jesus wins. Hashtag Jesus wins. We get to experience a new body one day. We get to experience transformation that is the fullness of transformation. Not just sanctification that we're, that we're experiencing now, but the full glorification that we're longing for. But until then, right? Until judgment comes to the world, we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. That's it. Until judgment comes to the world, we are to work enthusiastically to do the thing he's called us to do, which is to point people to the hope that is Jesus. Uh, we had growth track here yesterday, and I'll, I'll close this as I pray, but uh, we had growth track here yesterday, and we were just talking with some of our, our new folks, new folks to journey, and just saying, you know, this is what leading people to Jesus means. You know, it's not, it's not this big, you know, take it on hell with a squirt gun kind of mentality that sometimes people were, were raised with. It was this idea that we were called to, to usher people towards the God who saves. And right now, we get to do it on the full measure of grace. The full measure of grace, where judgment is not fully here. And the full measure of grace, we're going to say, right now, you get a chance. You get a chance where we plant the seeds of the gospel and the good news that Jesus is going to be the solution for your life and for everything that's going on with you. And not only is he, is he the God of now, but when you start looking at what's coming, that accountability is coming, the judgment is coming, man, it should just motivate us even more to continue to want to point our, those people in our circles, our top five, 
point those people that, that are connected to us but far from God, close to us but far from God, to know who Jesus is. And, and listen, who knows? Again, I, I read the, the verse for the group yesterday. Some people plant a seed. Some people water the seed. God is the one who brings the harvest. I mean, it might take years, but what a glorious day it is when people cross that line of faith and they get to be counted with God's people when judgment comes. They get to be counted with the seal of God when judgment finally does come. I don't know when it's coming. Again, I, I can't. We'll, we'll do our best to answer questions you have, but all I know is it should, it should motivate us to work enthusiastically to do the thing he's called us to do because Jesus has given us victory over death, hell, and the grave. That's why he gave us revelations. Why I believe he told us it's a blessing to read it, it's a blessing to hear it, and it's a blessing to know what it is. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for today. Again, just the way in which you, your word just pierces our hearts. I don't have any idea what individuals today were expecting or needing to hear, but God, I just trust your spirit to be a voice of encouragement and challenge to them and everybody here and everybody online as we look to the future and as we look to those end times, whenever they may be. And yet, God, as we were reminded that nothing we do for you is useless, nothing that we do right now means nothing. It means everything in light of eternity. So just give us that encouragement today to continue to work enthusiastically because you've already given us the victory we need. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.